Well, good morning. My name is Kyle. So glad to see you. And we're going to get this thing rolling with a video here in a second. Um, this video is the result of some guys finding out that a record exists. They found out that the record for men swinging on a, um, uh, a swing um, is 10, and they're trying to break the record. So this is what happens when you get a bunch of guys with their shirts off. All right, here we go. Here goes one. What number is that? I lost count. <laughs> this is proof that men need prayer. That's what that is right there. Um, and so today on Father's Day, I want to say to each and every one of you dads in the room, happy Father's Day to you. There's no doubt in my mind that you have passion and that you have drive, but what all of us need are wisdom, right? And uh, so we know that you're motivated, and I just want to pray for you that God will just give you wisdom with all of that energy and all of that weight that is upon you. Can you imagine being the guy on the bottom? Some of you are like, I'm a dad. I feel that pressure, right? Like the pressure to, the pressure to provide and to lead and to direct your family. You feel that. And so I just want to say a prayer over you and ask God's blessing for you as you're a dad. Let's pray. Father, I bow before you right now, thanking you that you are a good, good father. And when I say good in reference to you, I mean perfect. You are the perfect father. And I just want to lift up the dads that are in this room that have taken the time to be here today, to lean into you and what you have for their life. Again, I believe that the men that are in this room, they, they have passion, they have desire, they have drive, they have energy. Where they lack any of that, I pray that you would provide that. But most of all, I pray that you would give them wisdom, you would give them faithfulness, you would give them steadiness, you would give them consistency, you would give them purity as their children are looking up to them. Even if their kids are grown, their kids are still looking up to them. I pray for them as they make choices in their own lives that, God, they would remember the impact that they have upon those that are looking up to them. That as they make decisions that impact their family as a whole, they would understand, God, that they need wisdom from you in which way to go, whether it's left or whether it's right. And so, Father, as they're raising their children, as they're loving their children, as they're being a father to their kids, I pray they'd be present. I pray that they would be of you and filled with your spirit and that you would help them in every single way. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, we are going to kick off a brand new series in just a moment called Love Illuminated. We're going to be in the book of 1 John for about the next seven weeks, and I'm very, very excited about it. One more quick thing I want to say before we jump into Love Illuminated. Last Sunday was our Compassion Sunday. And as many of you know, we sponsored about 160 kids 
in uh, Peru last September. And then last week we had 80 new kids that are um, there needing sponsorship. And you guys sponsored uh, last week, let me get my math right, about 68 of them. Where's Josh at? Is that right? And we've got about 12 of them that are still available for sponsorship today. What that looks like is you and your family sponsoring a child in the city where we've planted a church through Compassion International for $38 a month. Uh, there are going to be a, a couple of people at the uh, shirt table back here that you can go to when we're done, and you can talk to them, and they can provide everything that you need to get set up for a sponsorship. We'd love to get all of those kids um, covered today, and when all is said and done, we'll be sponsoring 240 kids in uh, Peru, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to thank you, church, for your generosity. I want to thank you, church, for your love for others and your compassion towards these kids. Their lives are being changed, and through the gospel, their life is going to be changed forever. And so if you want to celebrate that, that's totally cool because it's awesome and it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well, we're going to be in 1 John, as I said, in this series called Love Illuminated. So when it comes to love, I love my wife. Terry is absolutely awesome. If you know my wife, you can just go ahead and say it. I've got a really easy job, right? I get to love my wife. She's just awesome in every way. I love my kids, all four of them, even when they're driving me absolutely crazy. I love my four kids. I love baseball. Go Hogs. We're still in it. I love football. Go Hogs. I love skiing. I'll pray for all the snowboarders out there, for you know not what you do. I love steak, medium rare, of course. Oh, yeah. Some of y'all know how to eat it. And oh, yeah, by the way, I love God. You see what I just did there? Like, I use this word love in all kinds of ways, right? And that's what our culture does today. We have kind of cheapened and misused and overused this word love. Right after I said I love steak, of which maybe more of you cheered for than when I said I love God, um, I followed it up with saying, I love God. What does it mean to, to love? There's this phrase that is true about God that a lot of people say, and I think a lot of us would say and agree that it's true, but we say that God is love. And I think most of us in the room would agree that's an accurate, truthful Bible statement about God. God is love. But what do we mean if I say I love steak and I love my wife and I love baseball, what, what does it mean when we say God is love? Here's what I think most of us mean when we say God is love. I think most of us mean God is nice. God is nice. In fact, we believe so wholeheartedly that God is nice that if anyone or anything, including Scripture, declares that God, at least in this moment over here, when he did that, doesn't look or appear or sound nice, that we reject that as being truth because in our minds, God is nice. Again, we use this term so incredibly loosely. So here's what my hope is as we go through the book of 1 John. I, I pray 
that we can begin to get a deeper understanding and truth about who God is when we declare him to be the God of love. And at the same time, my prayer is that we will get a greater understanding and truth about who we are. So here's the big point, and it's really going to flow all throughout this series, and it's massive. Some of you need to hear it today, and you need to hear it tomorrow, and you need to hear it the next day, because it will change your life when you realize that it is true. And here it is. It's going to come on the screen. It's going to be in your notes. God does not love if or because, but anyway. Let me break that down for you. Let me say it again, and then just kind of unpack it a little bit. God does not love if or because, but anyway. Well, God will love me if I don't blow it. Eh, That's not how it works. Well, God will love me if I don't break that rule. That's not how it works. Well, God will love me because I go to church. That's not how it works. Well, God will love me because I read my Bible. That's not how it works. God loves you Anyway, do you understand there is nothing that you can do to keep God from loving you, and there's nothing that you cannot do to keep God from loving you. God loves you anyway. I'm so glad you're here at church this morning. I'm so glad you're here. But guess what? For the people who didn't show up today because they're on vacation or they did on some Father's Day trip or whatever, guess what? God loves them anyway. Your neighbor that you think will never, ever, ever go to church. Guess what? God loves them anyway. God does not love if or because, but anyway. And as we continue to look at 1 John and unpack it this morning, I think this, this is going to just really pop for you. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1. Um, if you need a Bible, you can find one under the seat in front of you. You can find this on page number 1031 in 1 John uh, chapter 1. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, there's a gospel called John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're not in the gospel of John today. We're in the letter uh, that John wrote to the believers called 1 John. Same writer, John wrote the book of John, John chapter 3, verse 16, that you're all probably familiar with. He wrote that. He also wrote what we're going to, what we're going to read today in 1 John. The book of John, way about helping people who are unbelievers to become believers. The thrust of 1 John is really to believers to understand what they have in Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit directed him and he wrote down these incredible words in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Here's what John says to you. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Now, I very calmly read to you verse number one. I think that if John were standing here today and he were speaking these same words to you, there would be some intense passion in what he is saying here. You've had those moments, right, where you got to be there when it happened, right? And you go back and you're like, I got to tell everybody what I saw, what I felt, what I experienced. John is saying to me, John is saying to you, I'm not just going to tell you about Jesus that I heard somebody else tell me about. I'm going to tell you about the Jesus that I walked with and that I talked with. 
And so when he says proclaim, his voice heightens a little bit. His, his body language kind of leans forward just a little bit. Like, I was there, let me tell you about it. Uh, recently, I uh, had some friends that went to a major sporting event. Guess what they did? They showed me pictures. They told me stories. I watched it on TV, but they were there. They experienced it on a whole nother level. My oldest son and I got to go to the Super Bowl parade when the Seattle Seahawks won. You want to hear about it sometime? I'll tell you about every detail of it because it was this incredible experience. John is telling us about the experience of experiences getting to walk and talk with Jesus. He's talking about the one here, meaning Jesus in verse number one, the one who is God made visible, the one who is God made touchable, the one who brings the word of God, the one who brings the life of God. So John has a very vivid, sharp, sharp memory at this point of all of these moments with Jesus. It was fresh, it was real, it was powerful, and he's writing it down for us. He's like, I want you to see what I saw. I want you to hear what I heard. I want you to experience what I experienced. So I'm going to write it down for you. I walked with Jesus. I talked with Jesus. I ate with Jesus. I saw Jesus do the miracles that are written over in the Gospels. I saw that happen with my own eyes. I watched him love people. And it's interesting as you read the Gospels and as you hear John talk, you realize that so many people that Jesus loved were the unlovable. They were the untouchable. They were those that were pushed over here that nobody wanted to talk about, nobody wanted to lean into, nobody wanted to love. And that's who Jesus went to and loved. The unacceptable. And Jesus went and loved them and accepted them and received them. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. Continuing on, talking about God in Jesus this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, talking of Jesus. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He's declaring to us that Jesus is God. He's declaring to us that Jesus didn't have a beginning. And he's declaring to us that Jesus doesn't have an end. Let that blow your mind just a little bit. Only by faith can you really receive that. And he's also explaining to us that if we have this thing called eternal life, it comes from the source, which is Jesus. And by the way, listen to me, saved people. Your eternal life doesn't begin when this physical life is over. Your eternal life begins when you become a saved person. If you are saved, you are experiencing eternal life even now. It's going to get extended over into eternity, into the presence of God, but your eternal life began when you received Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. It goes on to say here in verse number two, he, Jesus, was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Verse three, we proclaim to you that, what, excuse me, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that, I can brag about it, so that you can think more of me, so that you can say, ooh, John was there. No, here's why he proclaims it. He says, so that you may have fellowship with us. I want you to have a connection with us that's deep and that's real. And he goes on to say, and our fellowship is with who? The Father and with his Son, Jesus 
Christ. So why is John writing all this stuff down? Again, not to brag, not to say, ha, ha, he, he, I was there and you weren't. That's not it at all. He's like, I'm writing this down because I want you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to have what I have. I want you to have a deep connection with other believers called fellowship. And I want you to have a deep connection with God through Jesus Christ called fellowship. Look on now in verse number four. Again, he tells us why he's writing. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our, what's that last word? Share our joy. Come on, share our, that's a word you want to say, right? Like, like any, anybody want to turn to your neighbor right now? Like if you, you can whisper it, you can say it out loud, but like, I kind of like joy. You want to just go ahead and tell them, I, I like joy. I want me some joy. You want to tell your neighbor, like, that's something we want, right? I mean, who doesn't want joy? I don't want any of that stuff. Nah. Leave that over there. No, we all want it. We all want it. We're all searching for it. We're all pursuing it. Some of us right now in our pursuit of joy, we have missed where it comes from, and it's actually brought more pain than it has joy, right? That's what this whole thing will do to you. When you pursue joy for the sake of joy and you miss Jesus, you're actually going to be absolutely miserable, but what he's saying to you is, I know you want joy, and I want to tell you how to access joy, and it comes through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. Look at verse number five. This is the message we heard from Jesus. I was sitting there, my ears were open, my eyes saw him. This is what I heard come off of his lips over and over again. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Do you hear the absolutes with which he is speaking? He's declaring what he heard from Jesus. Jesus declared that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. It's a very clear white hat, black hat situation, right? It's not like Batman when everything gets blurred. You're not really sure if he's good or bad or whatever, but you kind of like him. He's kind of the hero and yeah, but he kind of fudges here and yeah, he kind of steps over the line there. There's none of that. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Again, God is light, meaning God is holy, God is pure, God is perfect. No darkness in him at all. No sin, no shiftiness, no shadiness, no secrecy in God, no imperfections, no imperfections. So as we think about who God is here, according to verse number 5, God's light begins to do a couple of things. The first one we like, the second one we're going to be a little bit uncomfortable with, but it's where we need to go, and that is this. God's light does a couple of things. Number one, it reveals his identity. So as you think about God being light, perfect, pure, holy, all those things that we declared, we're beginning to understand who he is and his identity, that there is no sin, that there is no imperfection. It reveals his identity. Identity And today I want to lift God and his glorious name up above everyone and everything else. And I want you to see him for who he is. And as you see him for who he is, it is also going to reveal something else. It's also going to expose our sin. Ah, oh, man, I kind of like that whole deal of talking about God being really, really good. But now you got to talk about me and how I have messed up. Here's what happens. When we view ourselves in light of God, we begin to realize how imperfect we are. It's just the way it works. It's the reason why some people are uncomfortable with God. 
It's the reason why some people just totally go away from God because they're like, well, I can't be good enough anyway, so I'll just go do my own thing. But listen, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is a beautiful thing. This is a grace thing. As God begins revealing his identity to me and identity to you, he begins to expose our sin. You're like, well, I thought we were going to talk about how good God is. We are. Here's what you've got to understand. When we understand our sin and we fully begin to comprehend by faith who God is, it actually declares his goodness louder than we could ever even fathom. As we think about our sin being exposed, and we're going to do that a little bit more as we get into verse number 6, I want to give you three bad responses to sin that we're about to see that some of us are guilty of, and it's not where we need to be. Okay, let me give you three bad responses to sin. Number one, I'm a Christian, and it doesn't matter if I sin. We'll unpack these as we go through. But I'm a Christian, and it doesn't matter if I sin. Bad response. Second bad response to sin. I'm a Christian who doesn't have a problem with sin. Anybody want to chuckle just a little bit on that one? <laughs> I'm a Christian who doesn't have a problem with sin. And then three, whole nother level. I'm a Christian who has never had a problem with sin. These are terrible reactions and responses about sin. So as we look now into verse number six, we're going to move out of talking about the absoluteness of God. In him is light and there is no darkness at all. To our iffiness, if you're wondering how to spell that word in my dictionary, I spell that I-F-F-Y-N-E-S-S. God's faithfulness, God's absoluteness, and now we're going to look at our iffiness. Notice how many times the word if is used as we begin reading in verse number 6. Okay, notice all the ifs, verse number 6. So we are, this is coming from a guy who spent day after day with Jesus. Here's what he says. So we are lying, here it is, if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. I want to read that again. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. This is that one, that first bad response to sin, and that is this. I'm a Christian, and it doesn't matter if I sin. Terrible response. Some of you have thought, okay, you have believed, maybe you've been led to believe, Maybe you've been taught to believe, and maybe it was with words or without words, but you've landed in this spot that you actually think that you can become a Christian, nothing change, and then go to heaven when you die. It's not what we find in Scripture ever. Really quiet this morning. Some of you think, some of you believe, I can pray a prayer, I can become a Christian, Nothing changes in my life, and when this life is over, I get to go spend eternity with God in heaven. Some of you think, some of you believe that it is normal and acceptable for a Christian, someone who says they believe in Jesus, 
to have habitual sin in their life. What I mean by that is the same sin over and over and over again, and it doesn't matter. I just let grace cover it. Don't worry about it. Here's what the reality looks like if you think that I'm a Christian and it doesn't matter if I sin. Here's what it looks like. Listen to me. I'm a Christian pervert. I'm a Christian liar. I'm a Christian alcoholic. I'm a Christian gossiper. Does that work for you? It doesn't work for Jesus. In fact, it doesn't work for Jesus to the point that he died for your, listen to me, he died for your sin. He died for your sin to get you out of that sin. These descriptions we just gave are oxymorons. They don't work. Some of you think, well, that's just who I am. That's just how it's going to be. That's what I always have done. It's what I always will do. And oh, by the way, yes, I am a Christian. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus died to change you. Jesus died to change you. His death on the cross was not just to get you out of hell. It was, listen to me, to get you out of sin. And the cross is powerful enough to do that. You're not. You've proven that. You've decided and tried on your own to say, well, I'm going to try to stop this, and I'm going to try to stop that. Well, I can't, so I'm just going to keep doing it. No, we're talking about the power of the cross right now and the empty tomb, which is there to prove that Jesus has the power to get you out of your sin. Again, I'm a Christian, and it doesn't matter if I sin. Write these words out beside that. It does matter. It does matter. Listen, in Christ, we have a new life. We have new desires. We have new brothers and sisters. Why do we need brothers and sisters? So we can just have more friends and build our business and be more popular. Is that why we need brothers and sisters? No, we need brothers and sisters to help us. What? get out of our sin because they've experienced the same Jesus that we have and they're going to speak truth to us in love and say, man, you can't do that anymore, man. Like, you've got to get into the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bring you out of that sin. It matters. It matters. The cross says it matters. 1 John chapter 1, verse number 7. But if we are living in the light... As God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Massive, massive truth being declared here in verse 7. He's talking to believers. He's talking about the fellowship that we have with God and the fellowship that we have with one another. Listen, sin breaks down fellowship. It just does. It breaks down fellowship with people. It breaks down fellowship with God. And he's saying, that's not what I want for you. He reminds us of the blood of Jesus. He reminds us of the power of the cross. Look at verse number 8. If if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling who? Everybody else. They, They don't have a clue, man. They don't even know. They can't see it. My wife doesn't even know. She doesn't know. She totally doesn't know. Your wife knows. My kids, they can't see it. They pick up on everything. Amen, parents? You're only fooling who? Myself. Okay? 
If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Here comes this second terrible idea in response to sin, and that is I'm a Christian who doesn't have a problem with sin. I used to sin, but I don't anymore. Really? Really? Here's the mic. Come on up and take over. I still have issues. I still wrestle with temptation. I still trip and I still fall. I'm a Christian who doesn't have a problem with sin. According to verse number eight, you're only fooling yourself. When I was in seminary and I was young and obviously just, you know, the world was there at my, you know, you know, I had it by the tail and I go to work at this um, uh, plant where we made cultured marble. Cultured marble is where you mix up all these chemicals and all this dust, which I got to breathe every day, and you make like vanity tops and you make sinks and tubs and that kind of stuff. Some of them are in your homes. And anyway, I got this job, and, and this line chief that we had there at the plant, um, everybody called him affectionately, they called him Brother Less. And Brother Les was this man that had been working there for years and for years and for years and for years. And I thought, well, if they're calling him Brother Les, it's got to have something to do with Jesus, right? Like, we call each other brothers in Christ. And so um, I get to talking to him. I'm like, man, I'm a pastor. You know, I'm starting out. I'm starting to preach. And I'm like 19, 20 years old. I don't know anything except for Jesus loves me, right? Anyway, we're talking, and, and I get to know him just a little bit. And it's not long, like first, second, third, maybe fourth conversation in. It was early on. Brother Les tells me, listen. He tells me that he has not sinned since March of 1978. This is 1995. And I'm like, mm, Brother Les, don't know about that one. He went to great lengths to make sure that he didn't sin. The Bible says that he was fooling himself. Okay? If you think that you don't have a problem with sin, you are fooling yourself. We all struggle with sin. We all have weakness. We all need the fellowship of others to help us. We all need Jesus. Again, I'm a Christian who doesn't have a problem with sin. Write this out beside it. You are fooling yourself. You're not fooling anyone else. You're not fooling anyone else. Hop over verse number 9 and go to verse number 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a, you say it, calling God a what? Mm. And showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Here comes the third just terrible response and belief about our sin. That is, I'm a Christian who has never had a problem with sin. Here's the word that I would put after that statement. Whoa. Calling God a liar? But here's the idea. I don't think anybody in this room would say that they're perfect, but a lot of us in this room would say, but I'm a good person. I think there's a lot of people that would say, not perfect, but I'm not a sinner. Let me ask you a question. Don't have to answer it out loud. Answer it internally in your spirit. Are you a sinner? If your answer is yes, then I say to that good. Here's why. Jesus died for you. 
Jesus is for you. If your answer is no, then I'm really grieving in my spirit right now because Jesus doesn't have anything for you because you're saying you don't need the cross. You're saying you don't need his work there. You're saying you don't need the empty tomb. A couple more questions for you. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's too many people in the room that are going to declare I'm a Christian who's never had a problem with sin. So let me ask you just a couple of questions. When's the last time you confessed your sins to God? Believers, Christians, when's the last time you got real with God and said, I did this and it was wrong. I did this and it opposed what you wanted from me. I did this and I want to tell you that it was wrong and that I am sorry. When was the last time you were broken over how your sin had broken God's heart? I'll ask that question. When was the last time you were broken over how your sin had broken God's heart? Look at verse number 9. This is a word of hope and a word of truth and one that we can just take all day. But if we confess our sins to him, who? God, the God of light. But if we confess our sins to him, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We gave you three terrible responses to sin. Let me give you the correct response to sin according to Scripture. Write it down, take it, use it, live it. And that is this, I confess it to God. Believers, listen to me, saved people, Christians, this is what we do with our sin. We confess it to God. John is talking to believers here. He said, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is necessary for maintaining fellowship with God and with others. Here's what we mean when we say confess. It means to say the same thing or to acknowledge something clearly. Rather than denying our sin, we agree with God on what we have done. Confession is not for us. Excuse me. Confession is for us, not for God. It's not like you're going to tell God what you did and God will be like, I had no idea. I've been wondering about you lately. I was, that wasn't your wife? I didn't know that. That's not going to be God's reaction towards you when you confess your sin. You are not going to surprise God. It's just not going to happen. Oh, oh that was you. I, I thought that was somebody else. I thought somebody looked like you. I didn't think you did that. Oh, I had no idea, right? I, I thought I misheard you. I, surely that wasn't you talking that way to that umpire. That wasn't you. When you confess, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, listen to me, believers. When you confess, forgiveness is guaranteed. It's guaranteed through the work of Jesus. It's not because you did confession. It's because of the cross. And when you express your sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. This is what he will do cleansed. Doesn't that sound good? Clean. Some of you are neat freaks, right? 
Some of you just can't stand it. Some of you right now, I think my shirt ought to be tucked in. There's just things right now that are bothering you, right? I didn't shave this week. I mean, you're just like, oh, right? You go inside, and somebody didn't load the dishwasher the way you thought it ought to be loaded, you know, and all that stuff just bothers you. I've got my stuff that bothers me, right? Oh, to be clean, like completely clean. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about 1 John, Jesus, and his work on the cross. So what is the right response to my sin? I confess it to God. Let me ask you another question that's huge, and that is this. Why is God so serious about your sin? Why is God so serious about your sin? Why would he spend all this time having John writing down verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10? God is light. God is love. God is good. That's wonderful. It's great. And then he just begins to unpack how we can fool ourselves and how we can find ourselves stuck in our sin. Let me tell you why God is so serious about your sin. It's because God is serious about you. That's why he cares so much about your sin. That's why he talks so much about your sin. Because he knows your sin separates you, puts distance between you and him and others. God is incredibly serious about your sin because he's incredibly serious about your fellowship with him and your fellowship with others. Again, God does not love if or because, but anyways. God does not love if or because... But anyway, God loves you no matter what. You came in here today, and we started talking about sin. You broke out a little bit of sweat, and you kind of got nervous. You're like, it's Father's Day. I wish you just told me how to be a better father, and that would have been great, and that would have been good. And you got this going on. You got that going on. I didn't even, like, read what kind of sins you could have been guilty of, and you feel it right now because you've been doing this or you've been doing that. God loves you anyway. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, he can make you a believer and a Christian today. When you place your faith in him, he will cleanse you of all your stuff. If you are a believer whose life has not been looking like Jesus lately, he loves you anyway. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to bring you back into good fellowship. He loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. Some next steps for you to consider as we wrap up our time this morning. Number one, just to realize how much... Jesus loves me. How much does he love you? He loves you to the point that he was willing to die on the cross. That's how much he loves you. That is his full, complete expression of love, willing to lay down his life for you. Maybe for you, your next step is that you just need to confess your sin. You need to confess your sin to the one who loves you so much and experience this forgiveness that he promises. God is love. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. He came back from the dead. He loves you so much that in his glory and in his perfection, he exposes your sin because he cares for you so deeply, knowing that your sin separates you from him and separates you from others, and he wants to clean that. He wants to cleanse that. He wants to make you right, and he can do that today. Let's bow. Let's pray.